I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And we love to watch. We love to watch. Hey, Aaron, sapiosexuals are talking about literal brain boners, right? Right. Hey, we're uh, we're kicking off the month in earnest, Aaron. Well, we've already ki- Peter, which is why we're kicking off. <laughs> earnest goes to Relier. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, Ernest move. I never listened. <laughs> I don't know how many times I need to drive that home. I I purposely sometimes it would come up on autoplay and I threw my phone away. Uh, I, went through, I went through about fifteen phones, avoiding every habit Ernest to episode. avoid liking Ernest. But yeah, so uh, welcome worth every dollar. Yes, Peter. Welcome to a different podcast. We love to watch the movie podcast where we pick themed months. But we're breaking format, sort of, uh, by doing an entire summer, two months, on one topic, which is H.P. Lovecraft and his adaptations. We have the best name for the month, and you didn't even fucking say it. The name of the theme is Summer of Lovecraft. Now I know why we naturally fell into one of us doing the intro. What? Um, Fuck you! (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's our second week, though. Uh, We did did an intro episode last week, talking about our history with H.P. Lovecraft. Uh, That makes it sound like there should have been a sitcom about us hanging out with old H.P., and uh and yeah now we're do we're doing our first adaptation uh but not our, our first Stuart Gordon movie ever not our last one we're going to be doing a lot of Stuart Gordon movies this month by my count 4 yeah we're Gordon hard on this guy Stuart yeah we're we're it's not so much we're Stuart uh, Gordon we're Stuart Gorgon <laughs> <laughs> we're engorged by Stuart Oh, we're pretty engorged. And there's a lot of engorged people in this movie. And what's that movie, Peter? That movie is From Beyond the Grave. Oh, no, wait. That's a different <laughs> nope, movie. No, different movie. Different movie. <laughs> I would love to cover that, too. We should yeah, do a month on all like the, the Amicus movies. Those are good. Uh, yeah, we're doing From Beyond, which is where Lovecraft gets a little naughty. Lovecraft um, does get a little naughty. Not in the original story. but No, uh, Lovecraft, Lovecraft never got naughty. People are reading like, in real life. As far as, as as we talked about last week, I think he had maybe sex once that we know of. Yeah, he uh... thought it was gross. He was like, <laughs> "No, thank you. This is this is from beyond, and I hate it." <laughs> but he wasn't. An, to, to clarify, he was not an asexual. This is not someone who had no interest in sex. He did marry a woman for a time, and she did yeah. teach him the ways of love, but eventually he was like, mm, you know what's better than sex? Rhode Island. Yeah, uh, and not being constantly like, oh, uh, the Jewish people of which my wife is a part suck. Um, <laughs> Always encouraging me in my endeavors, trying to break me out of my yeah. bubble, give me personal growth, have sex with me. We did we did an episode where we talked about what David Cronenberg was like to have sex with, uh, and I feel like H.P. Lovecraft was similar but quieter about it. Uh, and he doesn't blink. <laughs> yeah, just like get it over, get it over. Um, <laughs> she he actually he brown bagged himself. Yeah, 
Penis. I mustn't see. <laughs> which is a which is a maybe the maybe the penis from H.P. Lovecraft is what gave him the idea for the penis from the forehead. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, specifically, not penises in general, but H.P. Lovecraft's penis, which he was always trying to look at with cross eyes. <laughs> So we've joked a lot about how horny H.P. Lovecraft was minimally, and he uh, the the original story and most of his stories are pretty sexless. The the uh, they also had no sex between men and women, uh, really, be- unless it was a background to a horror. <laughs> because yeah. he would have like because he he barely included women in his stories, let alone yeah. women to have sex with. Well, and he uh, and there the exceptions to where like the protagonist was a w- woman. Like uh, poetry and the gods was co-written by a woman author, so yeah. um, but anything that he wrote basically had a male protagonist. The other thing is that like it's, his stories are always told as, or not always, but most time told as like past recollections of someone's writing for science, for journalism, for the sake of their own sanity, like their last thoughts. So it really is. It's it's kind of funny actually how little dialogue is in his any of his stories. Um, I'm going through the audiobook of the the case of Charles Dexter Ward right now, which is his longest story. It was, you know, it's a, the only one that can be properly considered a novel because we're doing an episode on it uh, that we're recording soon uh, on the movie adaptation called The uh, Resurrected. And uh, like a lot of audiobooks, whenever someone there's dialogue, the author sometimes feels like a need to kind of change up, change up the way he speaks. And it truly caught me off guard in the case of of Charles Dexter Ward because I got through over two hours without a bit of dialogue in the story. It's just all description. And then all of a sudden there's like one line of dialogue and the author's uh, the reader's voice changed. I was like, wait, what's going on? Everything got straight. Oh, that's right. They're doing that thing that narrators do in these audiobooks where they do voices. But uh, it is it is crazy how um and I noticed that from reading his stories, too. They're just like a – the paragraphs are all like a page long. There's there's just nothing breaking it up. But it's just a thick wall of text to almost push your way through sometimes. Yeah. And, and, and OK. So you could make the argument that he doesn't – You could make it. In a postmodern – in the post, postmodern sense, you can make the argument that – um, he very often doesn't give names to his protagonists, and very often uh, his protagonists are not particularly well drawn, uh, except for uh, emotionally, what they're emotionally going through. Yep. Um, or in particularly their mental state. So you can make an argument that his uh, the gender of his characters, his main characters, are very often undefined, um, especially in the story from beyond, which you know they you assume that it's a, a male apprentice uh, for for uh, Crawford uh, Tillingast, but. Uh, they actually play a little bit. The movie actually plays a little bit around with with um, which characters are which and who's the protagonist and who is the, yeah. the mad doctor. But in this, in the original story, like the narrator is just like a buddy of the doctor, and he's he or she. Uh, they are coming to check in on this doctor uh, who's getting troublingly deep down this hole. Do you want to talk about the short story real quick? Yeah, let's do that. So, But I actually thought that both Dr. Crawford, Tillinghast, and Pretorius are both mentioned by – Edward Pretorius are both mentioned by name in the story. No, the story is, is one without – that they don't mention the narrator. And actually, 
And you would think that, you know, Jeffrey Combs, he sort of takes the place of the main character, but he's actually taking the name of the mad doctor Crawford Tillingast. And Dr. Pretorius is a reference to Bride of Frankenstein. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I guess it's just Tillinghast. Yeah. So actually the mad doctor, the cra- the mad doctor, the vicious one that feeds, you know, the the staff in from beyond his his, his servants to uh, the original story to uh, the the uh, things from beyond uh, on the other side of this portal, this other dimension. Uh, you'd expect that to be Crawford Tillinghast, but actually they invent this whole other super evil character, and then instead we have the main character Crawford Tillinghast who is uh, just morally compromised yeah so and essentially the so the opening of the movie which we'll get to it's a cold open and it, it starts in media res with them opening the about to open the the portal and then uh, and then weird creatures coming out and then a head getting chopped off that's essentially like that those first six minutes are essentially the retelling of the novel in a lot of ways or the novel the the, short, the very short story in a lot of ways the rest of the movie that comes after the credit is a sequel to the original short story like that's uh you know there is some minor changes to the beginning but the um the short story ends abruptly with horrors coming out of the machine and screaming and i think i think the head gets chopped off too and he gets taken away by police. Like it's it's essentially the first eight minutes of the movie are them doing the almost a a pretty pretty faithful adaptation of the story. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of of the Richard uh, the Richard Matheson story that was uh, the box that was turned into the Richard Kelly movie, the box, because the first act or so of that movie is it's expanding on it, yeah, but it's essentially telling the story of the box and then the movie's like we also got another like hour and a half in here i got uh, two more acts baby <laughs> you ready to go to fucking mars <laughs> it's got like it, it, it's such a weirdly structured movie it's yeah. like that's all prologue and then there's three acts and then an epilogue almost like it's yeah i i do like that idea though like okay well how do you this is an interesting short story how do you adapt that to a movie well instead of trying to take because they're is a lot of examples of movies doing that and most of the time they take the track of okay let's add a bunch of bullshit into this you know 10 minute narrative and and people usually are disappointed by that because everything they uh you know short stories are very condensed into what they're trying to to sell so when you like have a subplot of some like divorced couple and a kid that you know all the other bullshit they add into these things a love interest you end up like diluting the effect of the original Whatever the short story is, and um, and I like this idea of really making like um, your short story adaptations a first act or a cold open, and then like okay, well, what happens after that? Like they open the machine uh, into a, a into an outer world. What's what's and he gets hauled off after the scientist gets his head cut off. What happens after that? And making a movie about that. Um, same thing with the box. Like they press the button. What, they get the money. What happens after that? And and I think that's a really clever way to adapt short stories uh, that I wish more people would do because really the other two options are don't adapt them, which some people would say don't adapt them. But there's a lot of good short stories out there. Or or do the add a bunch of a bunch of heft into the middle that that detracts 
And I feel like with short stories, a lot of the power comes from the shortness and the fact that, especially with horror stories, a lot of the power comes from letting the story exist outside your mind and and kind of flow on and let your mind be like, all right, what happened next? Um, Great short stories are not just a novel condensed into 10 pages right there. They're this like lovely little nugget of an idea that is fully expressed within... 10 to 50 pages or whatever the 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 pre-novella <laughs> limit is yeah um and and, and uh, i think from beyond and many of other lovecraft stories fall into those that great short story category where i don't necessarily want there to be another 20 pages um yeah i, I could use a whole book on herbert west reanimator well and also that's but that is why lovecraft has had such a bad time getting his stuff adapted right like there is Reanimator. There is Curious Case, or the, I keep saying the Curious Case, but that's Benjamin Button, not Charles Dexter Ward. Or uh, the Dog the case, in Midnight. One yeah. Of the two. Um, a lot of Curious Cases, a lot of Curious Georges, but in this case, <laughs> it's a Charles. It's not so curious. I read, um, I read, I think, all of his stories twice at this point, and I still do stuff like I called uh, Terror at Red Hook, or Horror at Red Hook. I called it Terror at Red Hook. Yeah. I mean, horror, terror, it's, it makes sense. Yeah. Uh, but there, there is so much, like, just, it's hard to, uh, they, they have these great concepts. But even, like, some of his most well-known known stories, like Call of Cthulhu, is, like, 30 pages. Like, and it how, doesn't feel 30 pages, though. Yeah, but it is it is hard. And so much of them are building towards, like, one moment, right? Which uh, works in 20 pages or 10 pages. And sometimes, like, uh, I'm reading the case of Charles Dexter Moore right now, as I said, like, it spends its first third telling the story of this ancestor. Um, so it almost has its own, like, thing. So it actually is one of the only uh, stories of his I've read that it, like, follows a typical three-act structure. Um, it's, like, him, uh, the story of his ancestor, him um, him kind of learning all his ancestor's secrets, him becoming, like, as corrupted as his ancestor. Like, but that's not Lovecraft. Like, and so it is hard to fit those into – that's, like, it's a weird exception that wasn't even published in his lifetime. So it's very hard, I think, to to take Lovecraft and, and, and make movies and films out of it. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I really wish I, – I really like the way that Stuart Gordon has, like, chose to done it, which is why From Beyond is one of the adaptations that I think both of us would agree is a success. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I think that this is one of the – this is one of the stories that's not necessarily true to the original vision of it in terms of stylistic approach at all. Um, it's far pulp. It's it's far um, pulpier and and use it, it uses like it is sort of eighties uh, cartoonish, almost creep show, comic booky, candy colored approach. Um, whereas the original story is very grim, very humorless, sexless. Uh, but but like Reanimator has this similar tone, and it perfectly suits the original material because Reanimator is kind of a funny story. Um, so I would consider this a success, um, even though it deviates from the tone of the material. And I would consider Reanimator a success because it owns the tone of the material in a modern sense. Yeah, I I think that's I think that's right. Um, I mean, I don't like From Beyond as much as Reanimator, even Me though neither. From Beyond is very much a um, it's getting the band back together. It is it's 
Stuart Gordon, it's uh, Brian Usna, and then in front of the camera, it's Jeffrey Combs and Barbara Crampton. So it it is a it is very much a and it's based on a Lovecraft story. So it is very much a um, spiritual sequel to Reanimator. But you know, Reanimator is so good, like you know, it's going to be hard to approach that. And then this movie was also famously uh, uh, cut a good chunk of upon uh, right before its release. To get an R rating, so, so I actually had to wrangle with the MPA. Yeah, and actually, it's funny because I I watched the uh, unrated cut that was released a few years ago for this. Uh, Peter, you probably did too if you watched it digitally. I watched. Uh, yeah, I bought the the Blu-ray with the unrated cut. Maybe it was Scream Factory, one of those yep. those, those big uh, modern horror houses, and I loved I loved the new MGM cut, the new yeah. unrated cut. It's it's so much grosser. It's so much grosser, and like I noticed it, even though it'd been a while since I'd seen From Beyond, I remember it feeling not that gross and and slight in a way that. Uh, you know, the whatever the seven minutes, I couldn't tell you exactly which points were added, but clearly there was a lot that I didn't remember seeing, and it felt like a fuller, uh, felt like a fuller movie. So um, I like the shot length for a lot of it. Uh, I watched a making of about how they restored it, which looked uh, hellish, um, yeah. and a lot of it was like just shot length. Like, so it, it was Stuart Gordon came in and he was like, I can't tell you which shots. Are supposed to be which lengths i can like i can i can tell you uh i can i can, I can tell you that like uh this this uh, maybe there was more there was one more effect that was supposed to be in the shot so you got to keep going but like yeah they it was a pain to restore and it's beautifully done on the yeah on the new blu-rays uh and also the so even the cut i own the blu-ray as well but uh, the digital cut that you could you could rent or buy on like Amazon or Voodoo or stuff like that is also the unrated cut. So like that's the that's the print standard now. Yeah, it basically is standard. So that's really great from like because I, I don't think I've watched this since I don't know if I rented it on I probably rented it from Netflix DVD is where I rented it for the first time. Come to think of it, I, I, I don't think I ever saw it on VHS. It was it was probably like like twenty three, twenty four, twenty five that I finally got around to this one. Um. I yeah I saw it in college uh, and I, it didn't it didn't stick I mean I thought it was like a cool goopy special yeah. effects movie but it didn't stick with me in a way that I think uh, it does now when I watch it now when I watch it I watch it in a specific in a specific Lovecraftian concept and with a lot of love for Stuart Gordon and the actors that are on screen and far more of an appreciation for special effects. So yeah, I, yeah. Uh, I, I love this movie way more than I did in, in a more like immature age, which is funny. Well, and I think more of a, I think both of us would agree more of a um, appreciation for like these types of special effects when I first saw this at 22, 23, I'm sure there were moments where I'm like, man, I wish they'd get some good CG in here, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> I there was a stretch where I was like, too bad all of these uh, movies that I love as a kid have like these actual effects in place. Like I thought CGI was better because you could do more stuff or things moved faster. They weren't obvious puppets. And it's amazing how much of my view has switched in the last 15 years on that. Um as you kind of rediscover but you know it's like it's like that thing when you're a kid and like you assume all sequels are better like oh well it's it's number two by definition it's better i was like that about the ninja turtles movies (laughs) i think uh, it's funny that you mentioned that because i was about to say i think that uh was solidified into my brain by how much more i liked 
Ninja Turtles 2 compared to the first Ninja Turtles as a kid. I was also the way about Back to the Future. I yes. Watched oh, three, that's a I, great I example. Three way more than one or two when I was a kid. Oh, well, that's weird. Uh, two was my favorite as a kid. Because two is, go- but three is like a Wild West like, uh, adventure. Two is what so depressing. Kid? Yeah, but, but like they go to the future. They get hoverboards and flying cars and shit. Who, who fucking cared about horses when you were five, ten? I, lo- ten? I, lo- I loved Westerns you when liked I was a we- kid. Jesus. What, what, ha- what did they do to you? Like, I love <laughs> Westerns now. But, like, Westerns was, like, the one genre. I think I said it on this show once. Like, that's, like, the one genre I was, like, oh, this is for the old people. This is for, like, <laughs> stuff I roll my eyes at my dad. Like, what kid is, like, Back to the Future 3 when all the cool future car stuff is in a shop and they ride horses and shoot guns? That's the Back to the Future movie for me. The one that's barely a Back to the Future movie. You're fucking weirdo. How you, how you feeling? There's a inner eight-year-old that's very upset with you. He steals bits from future movies and uses them in the actual Wild West. It's awesome. He look, steals bits from look. like Good, Bad, and the Ugly to help, sur- help him survive you know, a gunfight. Did you know what Good, Bad, and the Ugly was at the time you saw Back to the Future 3? No, but I knew okay. that he was stealing bits from movies and yeah, that he'd already seen. And I was like, that's so cool. That's It reminds me of that idea, yeah. which is, is going to be explored in the new Beatles Yesterday movie. <laughs> They're like, I would love to like go and go back, go back in the past and just like sing all my favorite songs. And I'm going to be like, this dude's a fucking genius. Here's the thing, though. When did he get the idea to do that? In the better sequel, Back to the Future 2. Because he's watching it on, remember Biff's watching it? He's like, bulletproof vest. <laughs> um, uh, no i mean i actually really like back to the future 3 i did as a kid too i think it was the first one i saw i just think it's hilarious that you use back to the future sequels as the one you liked more as a kid and use three over two you might be the only person although there's uh, other weirdos out there who knows i mean now it's completely flipped like back to the future one is is my favorite and uh the the first star wars is my favorite but like i was as i was a kid for some reason i was i was under that i'm helping you prove your point asshole that yeah. people that when you're a kid you're like oh well newer's better obviously i'm i'm very new so new things are good yeah well i think also it's just like sometimes you have to set up a lot of stuff and even though like as a kid you wouldn't necessarily know what that meant but it you know sometimes the kind of like the cool actiony stuff is uh it's it's removed to like get to a certain point so it's like why i like superman 2 better than superman as a kid and a lot of other stuff it's like yeah yeah i want to see him be superman do stuff i know who superman is like i as a kid who knew the characters i just wanted him to see see them do cool shit and so sequels had a lot less to set up um so yeah that's uh it's good stuff though like what if you could reach into another plane of existence another reality that exists right over ours and is swimming Mm -hmm. around us at all times and you could reach in and take something back from beyond you ever think about that no it's an interesting idea uh have you ever thought about writing a short story about it yeah i'm gonna call it Funky Buster and his Funky Buster Funkin' Machine. <laughs> Actually, before we get into the movie proper, I do have one more thing. I want to talk about uh, one one of our good boys. One of our very good horror boys. Stu? Stu. Stuart Gordon. No. He's a, he's like a good man. Like a, <laughs> you ever seen him? He's not like a horror good boy. No, like when I think of like... Uh, we've talked about this so many times. I don't even want to recap it. That like 
I gravitated towards horror comedies first before horror because I thought horror was kind of a dumb genre. So I love I loved like these things that kind of like celebrated them, but also like went way over the top. So as you can imagine, I've talked about how much I loved Evil Dead. And then the other uh, the other movie I gravitated towards in high school was Reanimated, which we'll be covering. Um, I don't know what that was. Probably picked up on the mic. Um, Wait, what, what, was that your house or my house? This is my house. Some pop oh. outside. Probably some kid with fireworks. Anyways, um, so I gravitated towards both Reanimator and Evil Dead 2 especially because they were big, gory, over the top, and it's what I liked in horror movies at the time. But I also gravitated towards them because they had the perfect actors anchoring them that both uh, were were very good at what they did but got the joke uh, and were so good at like what they did. And uh, I think they're almost on opposite ends of the spectrum. Like – like, um, you know, Bruce Campbell is the goof him around buffoon, very physical and stuff like that. But, like, I love Bruce Campbell. It's kind of crazy we haven't done a Bruce Campbell movie. I'm, I, I've am i actually been thinking that more and more that we need to just do an Evil Dead month where we do Evil Dead 1, 2, and 3 and then the remake. I, um, I would also like to – I mean, I, I love the show too. Like, yeah. it would be nice to make an episode spaced for talking about how the show modernizes the Evil Dead thing and kind of gives us a dream come true, which is like little little anthologized horror segments uh, stories yeah. every week. Yeah, I'm, so, I'm, I'm completely into that. Evil Dead, like, and Army of Darkness were like the movies that really dragged me into like horror as a, as a much dragged you to hell. Dragged me to hell. Um, but like – but the other one, I like. I loved Jeffrey Combs in in Reanimator as well. He's like he's very goofy, he's very physical, but he's like the intellectual, somewhat evil side. Like Ash is always trying to do good, but fucking it up. Uh, and Bruce Campbell plays that really well. And Jeffrey Combs is like almost the one who's who's <laughs> who's bringing the horror on himself, and then like frantically and manically trying to handle it. And he's he's so good in the, in Reanimator. Uh, actually, I think one of my biggest disappointments the first time I saw From Beyond is that I he's he's not the protagonist. We'll talk about that. But that kind of manic reanimator energy is sidelined for a lot of the movie. Uh, and so at first it was like, fuck, I want more Combs being Combs. <laughs> and everything that I've I've seen Jeffrey Combs in, I always – he's he is like a Bruce Campbell and then I always get excited to see him. He's really great as like one of the main villains in the last few seasons of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. But he's just so good at being like evil. His voice is so good. I just – I fucking love – he's just a good boy. He's just a, such a good boy, Peter. How do you feel about Jeffrey Combs? You know that show Homes on Homes? Mm-hmm. A show called Combs on Combs and it's just him being very disappointed with the comb quality that he runs into at a typical barbershop. Uh, how they keep them clean. How often they change out that blue fluid that keeps them clean. Um you know, just proper comb maintenance is important. The tines of the comb, are they too sharp? Are they not sharp enough? I, I think that would be a dream project for me, for him. Uh, but the, the I, Jeffrey, I don't know if he combs on brushes, but go on. But Jeffrey Combs is one of those guys who is a proper theater actor. And he is someone that in interviews talks about... Which is very much not the case with Bruce Campbell. <laughs> yes. Yes, Bruce Campbell exists to be on TV. Like, yeah. he's that kind of guy. Like... He's, I mean, he's great at movies, but he exists to be on, like, it to, like, go work in a studio in L.A. and 
uh, go shoot his go shoot his monster stories and then get off set and immediately like crack a beer with with like the lighting guy while he explains how this shit works. Jeffrey Combs is like a stage dude. He's very intense in interviews. He's always very intense politically and how he feels about the craft and he has no problem speaking about how he feels like he's been um typecast as madman horror guy but he's like well it bought me my house it puts food on the table so i can't be mad at it either so it's fun because he has but he's, and he's of, like, really proud actor of it, but workman yeah. like he does make he does sometimes lament that he hasn't had more opportunities outside the genre but he doesn't bite the hand that feeds him um, yeah. Sometimes you get these old horror guys that are just like bitter about having worked in the genre for so long. And they're just like, yeah, I mean, it's uh, nice to not be in a food line. <laughs> yeah. And he was in a lot of Stuart Gordon movies uh, for a long time. Uh, not only is he really good in those, um, he uh, a couple things I want to call out if you want to see some good Jeffrey Combs stuff. Have you have you seen Would You Rather? It's like a Saw movie plus the perfect host. Yeah, exactly right. Like it is. Uh, it's not a great movie, but he is like the host of the party, uh, and he is so good. It is worth. It's it's a good three three and a half star movie where he kind of gets to be the evil person. I I think it might be the twist is that he's not the actually evil person. He's being paid by someone, but whatever. Um, and then the other thing I would highly recommend that he's so good at. He's done a lot of voice work, but he did in uh, Justice. Did you ever watch Justice League Unlimited? I don't know what that noise means. I said, "Mm -mm." "Okay." All I heard was this. I heard, "Mm." "I'm like that's that's like the noise my one year old makes when I'm like, is that a yes? Do you want the applesauce packet or is that a no?" She's like, Um, "Hey, you asked me to verbalize, uh, and this is what I'm giving you. Yeah, giving you a tone. It doesn't go up. It doesn't go down. Just one flat." Tone. Uh, no, so in just just something unlimited is really good, but he plays the question, uh, which is like the conspiracy theory DC Justice League member who doesn't have any superpowers essentially, but he just doesn't have a face, um, probably a mask, but um, but that's his whole thing. Like he, but he's like a, a lunatic conspiracy theory who also because the Justice League in that show uh, ends up against a bunch of conspiracy theories with Cadmus and a bunch of other stuff. Like uh, he's he's uh integral to a lot of the arc of the the first couple seasons and oh my god he is so good in that role he's he's done a uh, a ton of awesome voice acting work uh like yeah i mean in the dc universe he plays a scarecrow as well um and he he also is in he's he's Stuart gordon's guy for a bit right he was in all three reanimator movies even though uh Stuart gordon only directed the first one yeah um and then he's He's in in castle freak is in castle freak he uh and then he's in from beyond and he's also in a movie that i really like that i would love to do someday called fortress oh yeah that's i'd love to do that too yeah, it's a it's a fun it's a fun goofy uh, sci-fi prison movie with a great character actor cast, and he plays like a crazy mad scientist guy. And that he's really good at playing crazy mad scientists. He always plays one in like House on Haunted Hill, the nineteen ninety nine one. Oh yeah, that's an okay movie actually. Yeah, I wasn't saying people confuse he's it in with the Frighteners the too. Yeah, he is in the Frighteners where he plays a creepy sort of mad mad uh detective <laughs> um but uh house on haunted hill was uh 
it was a fun, fun, bad movie or, you know, a fun, good movie to put something in your perspective. But like he, he perfectly synced up with the rhythms of that movie, which is like we're playing this as 60s camp, just like the original movie. We're playing this as a William Castle thing, this big, goofy, uh, big, goofy horror adventure. We are not playing this as like uh, grim, grounded stuff. And he revels in it. Um, one voice role that I want to ha- highlight that I have not seen, but makes me laugh a lot. Uh, when I was scrolling through his IMDb and Scooby-Doo uh, Mystery Incorporated, like one of the reboot Scooby-Doo shows, uh, uh, he, put, he played a character. Fact, that show's good. I, I haven't seen it, but uh, he played a character in a couple episodes called H.P. Hatecraft. Yeah. <laughs> so he's kind of not only typecast as mad scientist, but typecast as like uh, mad scientist creep who is obsessed with Lovecraftian nonsense. Yeah, it's... Uh... Well, you know, he's also in a few Brian um, Brian Usna movies too, um, where he gets to he gets to do Lovecraftian inspired stuff. I think you well Usna did Bride, and there's a Dunwich Horror TV film that he was in, which I've never seen. Um, he's in Stuck, the Stuart Gordon movie. He's in The Pit and the Pendulum, the Stuart Gordon movie, and then there's one more. Um, he isn't. He Yuzna uh, did direct uh, Beyond Reanimator. Oh, Usna, come on, bud. Use. Um, Usna. Uh, he's in uh, the Black Cat episode of Masters of Horror, which Stuart Gordon directed as well. Um, there's Where one he other... played uh, Edgar Allan Poe, which yeah. he he uh, he apparently did an amazing job on stage playing Edgar Allan Poe in a play. Um, yeah. He does he does horror on on the stage as well. He's not just a movie and TV guy in that sense. So he's yeah. he's, he's kind of accomplished all of the realms of acting in terms he's of that a, like specific that specific category of character yeah. actor and the other using a film was Faust Love and the Damned which is actually a movie I really like I watched it for one of the Spooktober's past um, he, he has a okay role in that but um, but much like Bruce Campbell I think the other reason I link Combs and Campbell in my head is because typically even when they're in good movies that they are the best part of the movie that they're in yeah, they're usually the highlight of the movie, and they're usually if the movie's bad though, they're they're the best. They're, wor- they're like, worth it. Almost. Which is the worst part of Congo is that Bruce Campbell is in it purely right as away. a sacrificial lamb, and it's like, couldn't you've gotten some other brown-haired hunky dude to play the guy that gets murdered, and they have to go to the jungle to look for? Couldn't he be one of the adventure crew guys and have him bounce off of Tim Curry? And you're like, no, no, that would be too fun. That'd be too fun to watch him and Tim Curry act up against each other. Yeah, why couldn't he have been the main character in Congo? No one knows what that guy. Who was the main character in Congo? Uh, the dad from Nip Tuck. Is that That's who it was? P.S. Yeah. Dylan Walsh, I think. It wasn't Dylan Walsh, was it? Is that, is that his name? Dylan something? P.S. If you search Congo on Wikipedia, the movie is not the first thing that comes up. Uh-huh. Apparently, there's more important Congos. It is Dylan Walsh. Yeah. The fucking Dylan Walsh? Come that's, on. That's a pocket reference I got for yeah. some reason. Yeah. Um, yeah. So here you have you have a cast with Ernie Hudson, Tim Curry, Joe Don Baker. Who are you going to put up against those, like, overacting titans in a campy fucking Lost City of Zinge movie? <laughs> oh, I don't know, Dylan Walsh? God. Bruce Campbell uh, throwing one-liners at that at that gorilla. Like, imagine that movie. That it- movie would be, like, amazing. That would be everyone in every dumb film group's favorite, like, secret favorite movie. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
Yeah, it would be. It would be the ultimate camp thing, whereas, like, the actual movie Congo is kind of boring until Laura Linney puts a a diamond into a laser and then blows up a bunch of silverback gorillas. And everything Tim Curry's doing. And everything Tim Curry's doing is weird. Which is insane. Uh, Weird racist Russian, Serbian, pan-Eastern European uh, character. That accent is one he invented, and uh, it's good. Yeah, no one is allowed to be. No one in uh, in Eastern Europe is allowed to be offended because he can always just be like, he's like, uh, what uh, what country are you from? And he's like, he's like, I'm from Yugoslavia, and I'm offended by your accent. He's like, oh, actually, I was making fun of uh, Chechens. Uh, bye. That's actually an accent that you have when the concept of speaking makes you gag and almost throw up, but you don't do it. It's like we got I'm the monkeys. <laughs> Uh, the yeah. city of Zinj. I can't even do it. Like you can't yeah, you go do Schwarzenegger it. so, so fast. I know. Listen, we gotta get the monkeys. The um, city of Zinj. Yeah. So, uh, so Jeffrey Combs is a good boy, and this movie is a pretty good boy. Peter, do you want to talk more about From Beyond the Grave? <laughs> Can we talk about From Beyond instead? The Grave? Mm, from Beyond Sand's Grave. So I'm sure plenty of these characters were Sounds buried great. in graves. After. Got it. Hey, Aaron. You want to hey. give us some uh, alternate taglines over here? How many? Uh, how about one? How about less than that? How about alternate tagline. <laughs> alternate tagline. Here we go. Rare it up. Um, what if penises were gross? <laughs> what if? Wow, you must be from an alternate universe. Uh, yeah, all the penises I've seen are solid gold, and they are in drawers in people's houses. <laughs> so, so this movie from Put from uh, from beyond. Yeah, give us a recap. Give us a little recap. Recap. All right. The, the recap. Pro- recap. Are you finished? Put a cap on again. <laughs> uh, I had to scribble out in my notebook. I drew just a stick figure fucking an actual fish. <laughs> like a Jesus fish kind of like simple iconography. Can I ask um, you why you had to cross that out? Is it because you have to turn the notes in at the end? You know, and the teacher to dock you a grade? Uh, yeah, I have to send um, the notes through the U.S. Postal Service to my teacher, and uh, it's illegal to send pornography through the U.S. Postal Service, which is something I just made up. That's why um, they had to invent the internet. That's why they had to invent the internet. Can't mail this shit. Better put it somewhere. <laughs> so, uh, from beyond, the, 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 the prologue of this is essentially the story of the short story from beyond. There is a apprentice and a doctor who are working on a special machine that will give them uh, a perspective, let them see into and be and actually be visible in this alternate plane of reality. This uh, unearthly, disgusting, uh, fishy uh, environment where all these monsters reside and they eat at one another and the, the strongest fish wins and and uh, these monstrosities live there. And uh, similar to the short story, the apprentice realizes the power the, the power of the machine would be misused by his his doctor. Um, and 
uh, he says, we need to shut this thing down. And the doctor's like, no, this is this is amazing. This is wonderful. This is this is going to be this is not only going to make me famous, it's going to make me incredibly powerful. Uh, and they fight over it. And uh, the uh, the apprentice uh, shoots the machine, shutting it down. And uh, but it leaves the doctor dead. So the uh, the apprentice the Apprentice, which is uh, Crawford Tillinghast in the Let's uh, say his name so we can stop saying The Apprentice for other non-related <laughs> So The Apprentice, whose, whose name is Crawford Tillinghast in the movie, uh, and we don't need to go into the short story differences again, but uh, Crawford Tillinghast is played by uh, Jeffrey Combs. And Jeffrey Combs get arrested for Jeffrey. the murder of his, of his doctor, Dr. Pretorius who has been headless um, and they lock him up in a an asylum even though they don't really they don't necessarily have evidence that he committed the murder well um, they found him in a place with a headless doctor i mean yeah but they 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 think he did it but they don't necessarily like have evidence that he that he did it but they they still they can't let him go he's still sort of in this sort of weird gray neutral zone where like the asylum has ownership over him and they give ownership over to this uh, this young ingenue, this this uh, this young doctor, this uh, this uh, what are they called? A wonderkind, um, played by uh, Barbara Crampton. And Barbara Crampton is supposed to be this like young experimental scientist, and she butts heads with the 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 head doctor at the asylum, but she manages to wrangle rights to get. Jeffrey Combs out of there, and with the help of a bodyguard assistant played by Ken Foray from Dawn of the Dead, uh, they go back to the old house to investigate the machine and try and get it working again. And essentially, the choice is to Jeffrey Combs' character, to uh, Crawford Tillinghast, is uh, hey, uh, work with us. Let's run the experiment. Let's see if we can we can release you of this trauma. Also, she's curious about what the what the hell the science experiment was. If we can release you of this trauma uh, through reenacting the event, which is something that I think is uh, only done this way in movies. Uh, I'm pretty sure it would just be more traumatizing than not um, to actually activate a world altering device, but to you know prove to him like, hey, you're crazy. Which is, by the way. Not how you're supposed to challenge delusions in a clinical setting. You're not supposed to um, do it that way. But anyways. So, hold on. You're saying the the therapy in this movie is bad? Yeah. So, I would say that the therapy in this the movie. The one by- where you're like, take him to the scene of the crime and turn on this shit. And let's see if this, this bozo's right. You're saying <laughs> yeah. that's bad therapy? Yeah, like, not good. Yeah, he's probably crazy. But let's go turn on the machine. Worst case scenario. He's wrong. Now that happens, best case scenario, we got that machine with the dimension stuff going on. And you can't prove, you cannot prove someone's delusions are wrong this way by by being like, well, uh, we turned on the machine, nothing happened. Like, that's just not how delusions yeah, work. You're, yeah, no. <laughs> Most delusional thinking is fixed by showing people they are wrong. So this actually creates a weird <laughs> dichotomy in the movie where there's the doctor, there's the head doctor of the hospital who's actually Stuart Gordon's wife. Um and uh, the head doctor of the hospital is, like, very antagonistic towards Barbara Crampton. I think you're supposed to read that as her being the villain. But, like, the doctor of the head of the hospital is completely right. Yeah. They shouldn't be doing these dumb experiments. It's bad for the patients. And also they- when they come back and one person is shaved and has an antenna growing out of his forehead. I feel like Barbara Crampton – and Barbara Crampton is in, like, S&M gear fucking monsters. I feel like – 
while also kind of raping Jeffrey Combs. Like, I feel like she, she had a she had some rights to question what was going on. Yeah, yeah. So basically, Barbara Crampton is running a weird experiment to try and make Jeffrey Combs better. But as the experiment, as they get this machine working and she realizes, hey, maybe this guy isn't crazy. Oh, he's not crazy. They get this machine running. Um, they have a bad run in with... Uh, Dr. Pretorius, who yeah, went to just, the other he's side. Just, and be- he's just right back. He's like, yeah. hey, guys. Woo! He went to the other Crazy. side and became a, a bodiless god on the other side. Like, he's for some reason, uh, they've, like, crowned him king on the other side, um, that which means that he has this weird John Carpenter's the thing, like, amorphous form. And he can, he can absorb people into his consciousness. He's also, just like he was in life, really horny. So he was into, uh, S&M shit when he was, uh, he was alive. Uh, this movie's a little kink shamey. Uh, he's into this leather movie's, and This whips. movie's extreme. Like, my, so my least favorite part of this movie is the S&M stuff because it definitely doesn't have anything interesting to say about, like, uh, kink or, or S&M or anything like that. And it's just about, like, I don't even, it's just, it feels like just about adding some titillation with, like, a lot. That was a very common, let's, let's spice up the sex in 80s horror movies. Uh, but, it, yeah, it ends up kink shaming. And it also, like, makes Barbara Crampton a very inconsistent character uh, in a way that, like, uh, like I don't quite understand what her deal, like, is. Like, I think that's a good time to talk about this because it affects the plot recap. Um, yeah. Barbara Crampton's just seemingly become seduced by the machine. The machine has a byproduct of – so the machine stimulates your pineal gland, which is supposed to help you have the sixth sense and see things that are really there, but you can never see them before. And the way the machine works is essentially once when the machine is on – you can see ultraviolet rays. You can see stuff that you could never see with the naked eye before because it's stimulating the, the pineal glands of anybody that's within its range. And But if you can see these monsters, they can see you. And if you move, you make yourself a bigger target, um, and similar to T-Rex rules. Um, and... The, but it also makes you incredibly horny, which is not something from the original story, because at the time, the theory, we, we still don't know a lot about the functions of the brain. So so they're all horny. Uh, Ken Frey has a little bit more control of it, though he is tempted to have sex with, with uh, Barbara Crampton at one point when she comes on to him under the influence of the machine. And uh, Jeffrey Combs and her are, are occasionally making out during these experiments as well. It makes you very, very horny, which is not something that was in the original story. But um, there's the, the parts of the brain are are very complicated in their functions like sometimes it seems like it does two very disparate un uh, unconnected things but at least in the 80s our, our understanding of it was that the pineal gland uh regulated our sex drive and the idea is that it stimulates the pineal gland it serves this purpose of letting you see things that aren't there but hey the pineal gland also regulates your sex drive which means guess what you're really, really horny. So there's all these scenes of Barbara Crampton dressing up in the leather and the whips and such of the Dr. Pretorius. He was into S&M play when he was alive. And she, yes, she pretty much sexually assaults, all but sexually assaults Jeffrey Combs, who's unconscious and recovering from one of the experiments. And uh, she comes on to Ken Foray consensually. Um, and he is tempted by it as well. And... Uh, they eventually, Ken Foray is like, we need to get the fuck out of here. Um, and they 
go to try and turn the machine off because it turns itself back on. This is a terrible recap. Uh, turns itself back on. And uh, Ken Foray gets eaten by monstrosities when they try and turn it off. And during this during this, this attack, uh, uh, Jeffrey Combs gets sort of um, affected by the machine in a way he wasn't before. He, he starts to, his pineal gland starts to swell and grow and be stimulated in a way it was never before. So his skull starts to take on a different shape. And he starts to form a Cronenbergian vaginal hole in the center center of his forehead that a penis comes out of, a pineal Pe- gland penis, penis eye, penis Pe- eye. So it has like he's just looking around. It's not trying to necessarily have sex with anything. Yeah, and it's uh, and it's sort of like a sensor thing. It's it's yeah, it's, it is literally like a third eye. It's like an antenna. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's his other sensor for this this stuff. So he, so so he just is unconscious and kind of flopping around the hospital. And, and eating it, eating people's eyeballs, and it creates a situation where he he is kind of he has kind of become part of this resonator machine um, because he now picks up on those signals without the machine even being on. Yeah. So uh, and then Barbara Crampton uh, and him escape from the hospital. He has a, a an urge for blood again he has an urge for for brains well, he's sucking out people's eyeballs and i think that's important <laughs> it is important i don't know why he's doing it they go back to the house to finally confront uh pretorius on the other side of the thing and they on the other side of the beyond and when they get there they have this big battle with him and he jeffrey combs gets eaten and he inside this machine it's sorry. Jeffrey Combs gets eaten and ingested by him. And similar to Men in Black, he starts to fight his way out of it and punch his way out of it in this intensely gross, the thing-esque tentacle fight. Yeah. Barbara Crampton uses dynamite that I don't remember where she gets it. (laughs) And blows the the machine. Yeah, the boom factory. Uh, And she blows up the house and the machine. And this recap wasn't very good, but the, the movie has this sort of... So the so the, yeah the recap is bad but the 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 point is that the movie is is a sort of a, a series of experiments that have an increasingly t- uh, unnatural effect on the participants and eventually the the experiment has to end and they get locked up in the hospital and then they break out of the hospital and then they have to finish the experiment and Barbara Crampton comes out on the other side the main character Barbara Crampton comes out on the other side. Uh, fully mad like any Lovecraft yep. uh, protagonist. Well, and I think that's a great segue into like, so even though this this movie is adapting a very short story, like six pages long and does it in its opening few minutes, um, it is adapting the tone of Lovecraft, which is it's a really good example of how knowledge and the pursuit of knowledge leads to destruction, chaos and leather outfits. <laughs> Uh, but no, it does. It, it is that idea of like, you know, uh, 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 General Petorius, Petraeus, General Petraeus, General Petraeus. Uh, when he goes to the other side, it's immediately like a destruction of who of who he is, and it, and it, and gaining this like new knowledge that, of course, he's trying to violently impart. And the more people awaken to that knowledge, the more chaos and terrible things happen to them almost immediately, and. We talked last week about, like, that's one of Lovecraft's, like, two major themes. It's like, one is the universe is out to kill us, uh, and and uh, the other one is knowledge about that 
uh, drives people insane and causes terrible things to happen. And this is also a really good example of the universe trying to kill you. It's not as cosmic or as big or as eldritch uh, from from a from that perspective as some of his other stories. But I really do like the idea of basically these internet dimensional beings that are around us all the time that because of phase shifting or whatever else it is, like they can't see us. We move through each other, but all we need to do is just change perception for both creatures a little bit. And all of a sudden um, it's not a new world that becomes a nightmare or an opening to a new dimension. It's that, that literally we are surrounded day in day out by like uh, unknowable terrors that would like drive us mad. It kind of comes from, the basic idea that a smart man knows that he knows nothing. It, it takes a true idiot to think that he understands the universe entirely, right? Um, and that the, the the idea is that you you should be on this constant, except for Jesus Christ, except for Jesus Christ, uh, who knew it all, and uh, he was there to teach us a thing or two about proper composting. He taught us a little bit about what happens uh, when you want to get do some S and M stuff. Um, and what happens is, uh, you almost get to have sex with Ken Foray, but sometimes he's not going to be into it and you have to take good underwear too, right? On Ken Foray. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, the movie objectifies Ken Foray in a way that I'm very comfortable with. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think Ken Foray is really comfortable. He's running around that house in those, those, those red underwears. I'm so used to Ken Foray as this, cause he's amazing in Dawn of the Dead. He's great in this. I'm used to him as this like, uh, grumpy, like nihilist guy uh but it's so fun to see him just like having a ball here even though the role is specifically leaning into black stereotypes in a way that's kind of uncomfortable um but he he's 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 like really into cooking he's an ex-football player like the the dialogue is written very much about surrounding him with black stereotypes yeah he also slut shames everyone he is such a, a fun character in this movie because everyone else is like focused on science and he's just like hey I just don't want anybody to get hurt. <laughs> like, he's like, he's kind of the audience surrogate where he's just like, hey, like, everything you're doing is fucking stupid. Uh, yeah, his death rules. So uh, let's actually talk about some of the creatures that come out of the machine. Um, because I really like those. And he he dies by one of those, the creature's hands. Uh, so there's, there's like these little wormy things. Um, they kind of float around. They're almost like, like eel leeches, stuff like that. And, uh, they kind of look okay when they're, uh, composited onto the shot so they can fly. But when they get the actual models, when they start biting people, it's really cool. There's huge versions of those, which show up in the basement later on, which I fucking love that whole sequence. And I love that effect. It's, where like it, a, it's like a dune worm. It's like a dune worm. Yeah. Um, which just, just like these, all the way down. Just, Teeth all the way down. It's so good. Uh, there is, and then there's, but there's also like these little like insect bugs that it remind me a lot of the mist. A movie we'll be talking about a little bit. In that, even though the mist, the mist has huge bugs, it is this idea of like, yeah, you know what? Even uh, even the, like the smaller critters from an interdimensional portal are super fucked up. So yeah, they're gnats, but they're gnats that tear your skin off really quickly, like. Uh, So I really like those. And then, of course, there's the uh, sex god, uh, General Petraeus. Uh, Yeah. So the it actually kind of even though the movie is so uh, specifically 
let me restart. So, so the movie is about this hunt for knowledge, right? And that the these these uh, on the other side, there's things that we can never understand, and that's why I love that they don't actually try and classify these monsters into specific hard casts or, or classifications or anima. Like they they make them uh, just sort of like weird shit has come out of the other side we will never understand the rules all i know is that dynamite happens to work in this one chance um yeah well it finally destroys the machine beyond repair i think yeah and so the that creates this scenario where amorphous disgusting things are coming out and 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 they are in a sense legitimately undescribable but not in the way that lovecraft would would be uh stereotyped for which is yeah. that he just wouldn't describe them, uh, which isn't necessarily true of his writing. He would actually, like, especially in his later works, he would describe the monsters to, to, with almost too much specificity. Um, this actually is kind of working for, even though this From Beyond is an early story, this kind of works almost as like a later Lovecraft story where, yes, we're going to give you lots of detail. But, like, you're not really going to be able to still comprehend what these things are. Like, we're going to give you so much detail that it actually kind of confuses you what this thing's shape is. It has a society because, I mean, it's a Yasna project, so uh, the, the special effects were not done by Screaming Mad George, but it does remind me of the special effects in society where, like, it's very hard to describe what any indiv- individual individual iteration of what those amorphous beings look like because it is just this, like, rolling collection of parts, each each square foot more disgusting than the last. Uh, yeah, I think that's a, I think that's, per- yeah, it is, like, you can say, oh, it looks like X or it looks like Y, but it's um, it is a little bit, and especially because I mean, the main one that's indescribable is fucking General Petraeus because he literally, I mean, flesh is meaningless to him. He shows this by like pushing his hand into like when he looks like himself with just out clothes on. He's like, nah, this is just a thing. I this is a thing I threw together out of Play-Doh. Uh, interdimensional Play-Doh, baby. Uh, I, I, I can do whatever I, I want here. And then it reminds me of that like, South Park joke where they're like. Uh, you don't want to see our actual form, and then it's this writhing, disgusting mass, and they're like, "Oh yeah," and they're like, "Make it a taco again." Um, <laughs> yeah, that's and then right. he's just like a taco with legs. But that that is a funny episode. That is a very they, funny episode. They made funny episodes. They just yeah. suck. Yeah, especially just, now. They're just big fucking fat babies who never learned to grow up. They just super suck and are bad. Uh, anyway, but they they it's not like I I would never say they're not sometimes and a lot of the time very funny. They're just politics and point of view are bad. Uh, anyway, couldn't agree more. So yeah, it's it's the the way at the end, especially that he becomes this like uh, indescribable creature, really matches Lovecraft. And then especially as he kind of like changes as like Jeffrey Combs is pushing out of him with like a fucking hand, and then he gets sucked back in. Like it really is. I, society is a good call out, and also spoilers for society. But um, this movie is uh, like forty years old, not forty, uh, thirty. Uh, plus, society right? was a surprise when I saw it for the first time a few years ago. I was like, "What the fuck is this?" Uh, I I can't believe we still we've been saving society, Peter. We just got to do society. Anyway. Yeah, we need to do with the month with get out, people under the stairs. I'm telling you, that month's going to month's gonna rule. Once we find a fourth. <laughs> we just need to find one one more movie one that's basically more like film. Republicans are the fucking worst. Yeah. Um, anyway. Uh, yeah, but that all that stuff is a victory lap so when, uh, when uh, like Elizabeth Warren or whoever wins. 
Oh god, I hope so. If not, we're gonna we're gonna we sh- if not we should record an episode called Fools Rush in two. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be about the voters in this country. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh except we also then cover Fools Rush in again. <laughs> this time sad because Trump was reelected. I really love the insects scene because so eventually the insects burst out the little ones and they kill Ken Free and he is it's so gross. I love I I am I am always me- mesmerized by like I love the big gross creatures, but there's a lot of good horror about like tiny bugs that yeah. like do these terrible things very quickly. Um, bugs are gross. Bugs are gross. There's actually two really good X Files episodes about like um, I forget one of them where there's like there's the one with like the uh, the like microscopic creatures that are netting up people in its first season. That was like one of the first. X-Files episodes where I was like, oh, the Monster of the Week ones can be super cool, too. Uh, oh, yeah. The show and, then, airing. and then you got older and you were like, the Monster of the Week episodes are why I'm here. Yeah. Uh, well, eventually, as you get older, you're like, well, the last couple seasons are just bad. But in both, whether you're talking about super soldiers or doing a fucking terrible Monster of the Week, yeah. it's a bad all the way across. But uh, but I, I really love that concept. And I don't. I like that it, this movie had, while not a ton of creatures, had some space for, hey, instead of getting his head beaten off by a teeth leech the size of a fucking condo, uh, how about uh, the bugs? Yeah, so the, 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 that's something that we're going to return to with uh, our missed episode because it also has similarly disgusting big bugs. Uh, but, but these but, are these are little bugs, Peter. Oh, they're little bugs. Yeah, that's true. They're tiny, um, tiny bugs. So they're, they're the right size but bugs, they bugs, but they're just incredibly vicious. Um, yeah. But the we're going to return to the idea that bugs are gross later um, as well. But the I like the idea that, yeah, these are almost like um, they're almost like termites for people, or, or, which actually like is way creepier because they, they, they hound in a way that like, yeah, you can get stung by some bees, but like they don't hound and they don't, they don't swarm you in, in kind of this manner, um, this aggressiveness where they'll chew your flesh off in like seconds. Um, but yet, but I think that talking about the monsters and the, and the setup of it is actually pretty important too. Uh, it's a great way to kick off the month because he v- very often envisioned these other worlds uh, either being literally underwater or he was pulling from an underwater sort of view. So jellyfish and fish under the sea and the funny thing is about hp lovecraft is he was a fucking rhode island new england dot ride or die guy totally would be a pats fan um terrified of the ocean and terrified of swimming and fishing and such so he was someone who lived on the ocean and was scared of the ocean um wait hold on hold on back up beep 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 are you saying that hp lovecraft had a fear of something yeah that maybe he shouldn't have had a fear of? It, it's it's actually uh, shorter to list things he wasn't afraid of. Um, his typewriter. Uh, but if he saw the movie Naked Lunch by uh, by David Cronenberg, he'd probably be afraid of his typewriter, too. So it's hard That's to That's your time travel fantasy is going back and showing H.P. Lovecraft Naked Lunch. <laughs> yeah, just so he stops writing stories and we won't have yeah. to do this month. I'm having fun. 
Uh, this is a good time. I'm having a good time. <laughs> so he drew from he drew from, from his monstrosities. Very drew from, he very often drew from things from the deep. These aliens from the deep and these weird these weird monsters that would wash up on shore and they would be these like bloated porpoises and and strange jellyfish and all that shit that just like if you live in like a beachside town just sometimes weird stuff shows up. And this movie and yeah, and while movie, most people would go. Ooh, gross. Lovecraft would. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> so he was drawing from uh, underwater. And the, and then the other thing that it's drawing from, because they're talking about these these creatures sort of like gobbling each other up very quickly, is they, they compare the creatures to amoeba. Like this is almost like they're entering a microscopic world. Um, and, and then... Like in Ant-Man, the quantum realm. Yes, yes. And... This also draws in the idea that, yeah, these creatures are sort of like amoeba. They're not operating. Uh, amoeba and the, the ocean and, mi- and uh, microscopic worlds were good reference points for his horror. And specifically, yeah. they reference amoeba and, you know, uh, tiny germs and such be- in this movie. And they say, like, well, what if you could – like, this is crazy. Like, what if we could interact with amoeba on this level? And Ken Foray is like, yeah, well, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Could, if we could interact with amoeba, it's like it's not like I'm, we're making like a fucking germ like five foot wide, right? Like, yeah, let's make a movie. I say you and I make a movie where an interdimensional flu gets out of the front beyond machine, and then when people sneeze, their head explodes. <laughs> Just too big, Just too yes. big. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so I, I really wanted to hash out like where his influences come, where the monsters came yeah. from. And he, and he was a man of science who liked to read scientific magazines. He also did get sucked into pseudoscience, which is why he was uh, into a lot of uh, weird race race theory. But he was into like actual science as well. And so he drew from things from the deep as well as like microscopic monsters. And he, he saw in our own world itself monstrosities that he couldn't understand or comprehend. And he said, well, what if something from another dimension, another world, another universe, another plane of existence came down? It would look so crazy to us because shit, that shit didn't even grow. Like that shit didn't even exist here. This didn't come from, you know, 30 miles off the coast of uh, Providence, Rhode Island. That shit came from 30 million light years from nowhere. Yeah. Well, it makes sense too, because like, the the ocean really is one of the best the ocean and microscopic life are like the only version of like alien life that we get to see because it is alien to us like we don't understand on an intellectual level it doesn't make quite sense like most other animals that we see even weird ones it's like we get it like they're living in the same oxygen the same density of air that we are living in and and that's why like whenever you got one of those like six part uh ocean (laughs) documentaries like every kid is like yeah 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 let's get to the deep water i want to see the weird glowy shit because it like that is the equivalent of an alien world for us and when stuff floats up and washes around and carcasses degrade like it is super bizarre and scary and also like there's just so much we don't know what's down there so i can see why lovecraft would look out the fucking window or whatever and be like don't like any of this don't like that don't like what's down there I'm not going to skip to the sixth part of that particular documentary series. Uh, I'm going to stay on the first part, the shallow water. Um, but it, uh, yeah, it, it is spooky. Like, and as someone who's like been in the middle of the ocean and, and gone down, like when you start going down even like 10, 12 feet in like a part where you can see 
like the the floor and there's like there's wildlife but then you see like a big drop off and you can sometimes see like shadows of like something bigger down there i, I have like a particular image like ingrained in my head that we we're going on like a snorkeling tour in islands in the caribbean and there you know it went you could see down about 20 feet and then there was ground and there's one that was just like a cliff with more stuff and if you look hard enough you could see like moving shadows that were probably 100 feet down couldn't quite make out what they were. Maybe they were little sharks. Maybe there was something else. But it was like, oh, it really is just like a fucking, just an unknown uh, environment, alien environment that like I'm not going to get to see. And they live in such extreme temperatures that like the idea, the idea is that like you you entering into their plane, for instance, turning on the resonator and entering into this this from beyond plane. Um, it makes you the alien in their space, and they are perfectly adapted to it. it like that Lovecraft loved the idea of uh, us being dropped in a place that should be, you know, the, the domain of man, but it's not. In his first story, in, in uh, his first story, in the, in the the ethos that people really accept as part of the ethos is Dagon. Um. He, a narrator, like, is uh, taken prisoner of war, and he escapes, and then in the middle of the ocean, he ends up on this alien landscape and sees these, like, monstrosities, and it's like, uh, that makes him an invader. In Shadow Over Innsmouth, it was supposed to be uh, a, a quaint little New England town. It's supposed to be, pro like, you know, uh, the, the sort of town that... that, um, that that Lovecraft might find charming to travel to and, and you know, maybe sketch a, a, a little drawing of or write a poem about how quaint the Abbey is or whatever. But instead, this town's entire culture has been undermined by fish monsters or um, uh, like uh, in the mouth of madness, like the 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 beauty of nature has been subjugated by the knowledge that uh, this entire um, continental problem this entire continent has been inundated with this dark history of slavery and alien scientists and shit like it's it is it is this it is this uh this idea that he he keeps touching on of us being invaders in a space that is not our own um or our own space being made so alien to us that we are outsiders. And he was someone who felt like outsider, an outsider his whole life. And this story is about literally like, let's build a machine so we can travel to another plane from the comfort of our own homes, somewhere that should be, um, should be so safe. And then uh, you, uh, you turn the machine on and all of a sudden you're like, okay, I'm in an alien land and this is not teaching me anything but fear. Yeah. Uh, it's a really good point. Uh, one thing I, I do want to kind of circle back to from much earlier when we were talking about Jeffrey Combs a little bit is that I mentioned that even though I, I really like Jeffrey Combs, uh, not even though I just really do like Jeffrey Combs, the first time I watched this movie, I was a little disappointed that I wasn't getting like full on reanimator Jeffrey Combs. I was getting like H.P. Lovecraft Jeffrey Combs, who's just scared uh, all the time and, and uh, you know, kind of out for the count for a good chunk of the back half of this movie. Uh, and that was disappointing, not because I didn't like Ken Free or Barbara Crampton. It's because reanimator is such a singular performance that the idea of seeing like another movie, like a spiritual sequel starring Jeffrey Combs doing his reanimator stick was really exciting to me. 
But watching it again, I am I do really like that they almost roll reverse Jeffrey Combs and Barbara Crampton from Reanimator. Like Barbara Crampton is, the, yeah, it, Barbara Crampton is in this one the crazed. Uh, like it first starts out as a scientist with some 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 um a little bit out there theories that she wants to test that goes too far that ends up costing her a lot and eventually her mind at the end. Uh, and Jeffrey Combs is like the person who is is the person who is both her experiment and also like the uh, that gets that suffers as a result of what her her scientific uh, uh, inquiries, even if she doesn't mean him to suffer. Uh, it really is a, a flip. And uh, that was uh, unexpected the first time I saw it. And I wasn't like, no, Barbara Crampton. I just didn't get that that's what it was doing. And this time it was like, oh, now that I know what to expect, I really appreciate what they did. Because that is a fun switcheroo from their previous uh, movie covering similar material. Uh, that's a great point. And, and actually, uh, to jump back a little bit, you talked about Bruce Campbell. Um, one of the most fun things about reanimator is that even though we're going on this wild horrifying ride uh and our 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 point of view character um is you know just like a you know uh, an okay student an apprentice of uh of herbert west the mad scientist yeah we, we like to watch herbert west we like to watch uh this this crazy doctor take us on a wild ride through his mind and through his experiments and herbert west is clearly in the driver's seat which in evil dead 2 in army of darkness in the show ash versus evil dead which is also really fun uh bruce campbell is also in the driver's seat he's not always in full control like he's skidding all over the road. He's 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 yeah. off roading. He's going into ditches. But he is he is in the driver's seat at least. And we have some sense of weird braggart confidence in him. In this, and we'll get to more of that when we get to the reanimator episode. Um, in this, it's weird seeing him be yes the the Lovecraft protagonist the the fucking madman who is dragged kicking and screaming into experiencing more eldritch eldritch horror and then eventually becomes a monster himself and then has to redeem himself like that's a it's a completely different arc than we've had before yeah. and he's not quite a point of view character because he's not relatable enough because it's Jones. no he's a, he's, a, he's a character actor he's, he's not like an every man in any sense well he starts out being like terrified to death of seeing his boss die like Crampton really is the point of view character. She is the person who is uh, coming to save the day. And I think, you know, I'll, I'll admit this, like, I don't think I recognized it the first time, A, because of um, A, because of uh, the fact that I, I was really excited for Jeffrey Combs to do his, his reanimator shtick, as I said, but also because, like, I don't know, like, I probably was like, well, Jeffrey Combs is the lead of this movie. So there was probably some internalized misogyny that I wasn't even recognizing at the time that I'm like, so Barbara Crampton and, and also she's dressing in S&M stuff. So she's the she's Barbara Crampton, a reanimator. She's like, you know, she's the the victim. She's the the sex pot. I don't think I've ever said sex pot before. I don't know if I want to leave that in or not. Uh, not a term I would use, a term that was used uh, in, in that kind of role. And, uh, you know, I didn't even notice that the the kind of like role switch that occurred. So it 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 is fun to see 
uh, you know, upon rewatch that like, oh, I get what they're doing. That's awesome. That's a lot of fun. And Crampton's really good. It just it sucks that like the the S&M component, which I really like. I also like the ideas they touch on, not just that the, the, the gland itself is like, this makes you horny. So it's horny. Uh, they talk about how the doctor uh, was uh, was Petraeus uh was really into S&M stuff and so like the idea is that because he only exists as a mind and a thought the space around the resonator is like permeated with his, the like his wants and desires so that um as people like are it, it, affected by his brain and his thoughts they also kind of get into his kink um which which I think is a somewhat interesting idea that is uh, never explored uh, beyond just mentioning that that's part of what's going on here. Why, like, as an explain to like why they can get people in outfits and have sexy stuff and stuff like that. Um, but I, I just feel like that part is so half baked that that detracts. Like, there's not a point in Reanimator where where like Jeffrey Combs is all of a sudden like running around with a fucking ball gag in his mouth or something. And if it made, I mean, if it made sense for the story, great, but it, it doesn't hear either. It is just like, what if things got a little bit dirty? And I think when I was in college, I interpreted that all that stuff is basically like, um, when you're watching pornography and you're like, let's see what this weird fetish fetish is. And then you try it out for size because it's like three clicks over. Um, yeah. But then later you're like, that's not my thing. I was just trying it out. Uh, I feel like that that's kind of like how I read it when I was in college. I was like, Barbara Crampton isn't really into S&M. She just, th- there was just a lot of S&M stuff in the house. <laughs> but your interpretation is like actually true. Like I think that he is, he is having his will, his, his desires is having a sort of, um, subconscious effect on how their desires are displayed and unlike reanimator well, and, I, and I, unlike I, I do beyond say, reanimator like, i think this movie has a distrust of sex that actually lovecraft would be um he wouldn't be happy with the the way the ideas is uh is submitted but like he has a distrust of sex that that i think comes from lovecraft yeah but this is more like this is a villain. The villain was into S and M because that's something villains are into, and now other people are into S and M because that's like a a bad thing. Like yeah. I, like I just I if if there is a more interesting reading of the S and M stuff that I am missing, which I might because it's not my personal kink. So uh, my interpretation of it is is just like for titillation, and then it kind of is actually kink shaming. But if there if there yeah. is something I'm missing. Uh, you know, please let let me know because I would I would like there to be a better reason for it because um, I think some of the concepts are interesting, but it just I I'm it, not it's unexplored. It. Yeah, it yeah. feels like it feels like um, Stuart Gordon was like, well, my last movie was also horny, uh, so let's let's keep it going. Whereas this movie could have been very interesting if it was like. Uh, the machine has a good and a bad side. The bad side is that it gives you access to this unholy realm that can do great damage. But the good side is that, like, um, maybe this the stimulation of parts of your brain and, you know, literally, like, opening your mind can make you realize things about yourself. Whereas, yeah, I don't get the sense about Barbara Crampton that she was into S&M before. I get the sense that Barbara Crampton had 
like a, a i don't know i don't i don't i don't get the sense she had any sex life before uh, but uh no and i i really do think it's that they're absorbing his like yes i i no, so. I, I i agree with your theory i th- and i think also to add like i think this movie has a I, I also want to contend i think this movie has a distrust of sex in general yeah this yeah this movie i i mean again this movie just wants to put barbara crampton in an smm snm outfit uh and then like that's how they get there yeah i mean i think i think that's ultimately what it is right? and it and it is like like barbara crampton is very attractive she's she says she has like a lot of good memories making this movie that she didn't feel justified because she really likes Stu gordon like she she uh she 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 likes this these movies and she feels very proud of this being part of her history she's she's an extreme version of bruce campbell where she's like she's like loves her horror history and she loves going to conventions and meeting people and she loves going on podcasts and talking about this shit like this is not someone who was taken advantage of um when they were they were too young this is someone who like was game for all the horniness of it largely from from what what her accounts are now and Uh, yeah it's it's not even so much that like i'm not even saying like oh my gosh this is terrible it's just it's just like i don't think there's anything interesting here yes i'm just saying that Uh, behind the camera i don't think barbara crampton was was objectified in the way that like it feels like when you're watching the movie but in the movie she is just like uh, interesting point of view character, an ambitious young person who wants to explore the mysteries of the universe, which is actually the protagonist in every Lovecraft story. Um, and I spoke to, I sort of referenced earlier that you could make the protagonist in From Beyond a Woman. This isn't, this isn't quite that because she's not like really, she, I mean, I guess she kind of becomes Crawford Tilling's uh, apprentice in a weird way, but uh, it's not quite that, but like, they did make a woman the protagonist of a of a Lovecraft story, uh, whether or not they realized it. Yeah, so I like that, um, and I like the 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 inverse roles from Reanimator. It's kind of a it's a short it's a short movie. It is it is a short movie. It's a ninety minute movie, and a lot of it is just experiments where they're contending with gross monsters. And yeah. some of the mon- like I said, some of the monsters it's not really worth describing. You just got to see it to believe it. It's 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 uh really awesome gloopy 80s like just gross slimy monsters where there's just like it's so good that part is so good it's got that shit where like there's just like a little too much detail going on sometimes where you're just like every time i watch this movie i get stuck staring at like the the way that they in uh in pretorius's nose I get stuck looking at like the way his chin flaps look or the way his nose connects to uh, the rest of the body that I it's it's weirdly distracting because I'm like, holy shit, how'd they do that? That looks so seamless Then I'm not even watching his really good performance. Yeah. And I'm not complaining. No, you're right. But uh, I'm saying, like, as a as an no, S, as an SFX it, fiend, this movie is going to be distracting for you. Yeah, it's it's so good, and every every little part is great. Um, I have two little notes. Uh, uh, the funniest part of the movie to me is the way when they do the police sketch around the body without the head. <laughs> yeah, that is that is. is very, there's some good funny. jokes in here. Great, like vi- great visual gag. The original uh, story, like I said, is humorless, and yeah. Stuart Gordon was like. I'm going to make this like a kooky fun time. Yeah. Uh, And then uh, the other thing is that this movie just reminds me a lot of Prince of Darkness uh, in that it uh, much different in a lot of different ways. But that idea of like people like gathering in a house or a church 
to await some sort of interdimensional being like the tone feels very like similar like it, this would make a good uh this would make a good double fe- feature with prince of darkness i feel like because one is like the coming of the biblical antichrist and the other one is like much weirder scientific unexplained gross creature stuff but like i feel like the the general like well let's fucking go in here and see what's going on uh, is the same. Yeah, we should. So you talked about the sense of humor in this movie, and I think that really leads into my final thoughts, which is that this is not. This is an. A, this is a tonally very different from the original story, and it's very fun. And a lot of people don't like how heavy and and wind and uh, you know winded and uh, purple Lovecraft's prose was. And I love that stuff. But you know, even 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 I as a fan, uh, Aaron, you were talking about it, it's just sometimes just like dense walls of description, and just like. Everything is overwhelming, which was Lovecraft pulling from Poe. He was heavily influenced by Poe, and Poe said, your stories should be trying to capture one emotion, one feeling, and just go for it. And Lovecraft sometimes revolted from that. like uh, And, and Lovecraft read that wrong, because he meant like one emotion per, sto- per story, and Lovecraft was like, got it, I will pick fear. Yeah, fear's the motion. <laughs> Got it. That's all my stories about my one emotion I pick. Got it. Because all the stories about scared little boys who are scared and and get scared. Um, he's uh, he's he has some fear. Yeah. Um, I love that Stuart Gordon came in and made this creep show style comic booky 1980s EC Comics sort of. Um, big pulpy sensual sort of uh cartoonish version of the story where it's very much about like uh titillation and it's very much about like great panels um it's very it is very ec comicsy in that sense and i love it for that because it also has a sense of humor but just like ec comics there's this there's moments that work both as, depending on your mood, they work both as really funny lines or really scary lines. Like when you, when uh, Jeffrey Combs, our boy, our special baby boy, he comes up and he, he's describing what the hell happened in the house during the, the prologue, during the beginning section when uh, Pretorius got his head chopped off. And he goes, hate, ate his head like a gingerbread man. And it's like, so funny if you read it one way and then also jeffrey combs nails that line like it's a wonderful moment because it it is horror comedy in its purest sense because you could read that line as goofy but also like jeffrey combs is so intense and not winking at you that it works as a scary line too he believes that the best way to describe this was a gingerbread man and that that the, the quaintness of it the childlike almost quality in it after this horrific act of violence he saw makes it so much scarier than if he said like he just took his head right off um and yeah. I, I that that is that is why i i really do like this movie flaws and all um it's a, it's a it is a movie that pushes you away like we said, um, the fact that Jeffrey or uh, the fact that Jeffrey Combs is not uh, guiding you through the story, that Barbara Cam- Crampton loses her way, and then they don't give Ken Foray enough agency to just become like the man of action who's going to save the day. Like they also don't do that, which is like Ken Foray is like one of the only comforts in Dawn of the Dead. Other than that, Dawn of the Dead is like a pretty depressing 
movie. This movie doesn't give you a good character to just like follow along and give you comfort. And everybody kind of gets wrapped up in the bullshit, um, which I think makes it harder to love than Reanimator, but it doesn't make it a worse movie. And I feel like a little bit of patience uh, will will reward you when you're watching this. Aaron, do you have any final thoughts? Uh, sure. Why not, Peter? Let me try to throw some out there. Uh, yeah, this is uh, one thing I think we're going. So I think one of the reasons that we really wanted to do this month with a lot of movies, both in terms of doing it over two months and doubling up, is that as we kind of talked about a little last week, Lovecraft adaptations are rarely great movies. Um, there are exceptions. We're going to be talking about one of one of them. Reanimator, I think we've talked about it a lot today. That is a that is an example of I think that's a great movie. A lot of them are okay movies, and some of them are really good movies. And this is I think this is in the really good. It's not it's not great. It doesn't rise to that level of like this perfect horror comedy that that Reanimator does. But it's a lot of fun, and it's a good example of an eighties horror movie with with great effects and funny stuff and brief and a great Jeffrey Combs and Barbara Crampton performances and all that kind of stuff. But to get back to my point, one of the reasons I think we wanted to do so much in one month is that just like when you, as you, if you read one Lovecraft story, uh, you're, you won't always get a lot from it, but there is as someone who's been doing this a lot now reading, like I've read a bunch of his stories. There is a summation of his work in like the mythos and just his style and what he finds scary that I think that that more is better with him. And I think that goes for his written work and his adaptations. Like the the more you are kind of absorbed to his horror, the more you want to watch more of it. So I think this is a really good kickoff for the month because it's not going to hit some of the this is okay factor or there's some good things in here that a couple of the movies that we're going to talk about, I think do. Um, but I still, th- which is why we tried to pair them with, with other movies as well. So we can really hit the parts that we like as adaptations of Lovecraft. This one does stand on its own because this is one I can recommend to fans of horror movies, eighties movies, Gork movies, uh, effects movies without hesitation. It's a lot of fun. It's 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 a little slight. It's it's good and short. It's under ninety minutes, um, and it's a good example of taking the the kernel of the idea and the short story that Lovecraft created and 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 blowing it up a little bit. So uh, I think it's a perfect kickoff for the month, um, where we're gonna go through a lot of uh, a lot of I don't think lows, but I think we're gonna go through a lot of a lot of mediums, <laughs> I guess. Uh, and I think this one's closer to a high than a medium. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad we're kicking it off with this because this is a weird, fun, kooky one. This is not a heavy, sullen one. And I think this will no. help help give us a little momentum when we get to Call of Cthulhu and, and um, Whisper in the Dark. Because uh, those ones are more like, this is Lovecraft as Lovecraft presented himself, which is sort of humorless. Yeah. In, and this, very... in the style of the movies at the time. Yes. Which actually, I, I, I really like Call of Cthulhu. Call of Cthulhu is just one of those movies that's so goddamn charming. We'll get to it, but yeah. it's just so goddamn charming. I, I think the I think the lowish points will be not lowish, medium points will be Color of Outer Space with the Resurrected. Um I really like the Resurrected, but it, it is a classic three and a half star movie. You know? 
and then uh, what's the other double? Like Dagon and Dreams of the Witch House are both movies I would give three stars to um, that I wish I liked a little more than I did. But like those are good examples of like but I, I think that's They're the great. We love to watch movies though because I know. they've got they've got such interesting peaks and the peaks are worth talking about even if the well, overall exactly. thing isn't isn't successful, right? Like they're great. We love to watch movies because we're not we're not the fucking we're not talking about AFI's top one hundred movies of all no. time. We are we're here to to give a little bit of I think uh, we we'll do. I think I think from an adaptation standpoint, there like I said, we have we're gonna have highs and mediums this month. I don't yeah. think we're gonna have lows, but from an adaptation standpoint, I think we we would agree. Those those are mediums. Uh, yeah, 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 and and so. yeah, and and I think Dagon was like a couple million dollars away from being one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah, uh, well, and and I do think it's funny that I probably I hate saying this, so putting aside Reanimator, so let's just set that aside because that's its own thing. Like I do think that the best. I don't feel bad. I don't know why I said that. The 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 literal best Lovecraftian adaptation that there is and that we're going to do is not a movie because we're going to get to bloodborne and then i think the best movie minus reanimator we're going to talk about is a movie inspired by uh well it's a it's a book it's a novella inspired by a uh, lovecraft by a different horror author because i think the mist is probably the best movie outside of reanimator we're going to do yeah, probably, probably. Um, in terms of like a, a convention, a conventionally functional movie with great performances and yeah. like is satisfying in its plot and yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably, probably the mist is like it will be the high point of the month. But let's see, let's see where we where we land. Who knows? Yeah. Maybe watching it in this context will give great because we got we got six more weeks of this. So yeah, yeah. And I, I, that's the thing. Is it's so fun to talk about. Uh, why people adapted their works certain ways, and it's yeah. so fun to talk about movies that are kind of, kind of in between. Uh, if I, if I, I, I never wanted to start a podcast that was just going to cover, you know, like Casablanca and Lawrence of Arabia. I wanted, because like, oh, I did this. This that's what I wanted to do. This podcast has gone way off course <laughs> from, from my initial vision. <laughs> two hours because two hours of us just. Uh, telling everyone why a movie is amazing that everyone knows is amazing in the context of amazing movies is not fun but telling everyone why a a, a movie that you may never see or movie you never thought you would see yeah. um it, it, why it's, it's interesting is, yeah. is i think that's that's valuable so um even the movies that, that you're like i don't really want to see dagon like maybe give it a spin and enjoy, hold enjoy on i did Oh, you're talking to the hypothetical audience. I, I can tell it's late because I was like, I didn't say I didn't want to see Dagon. I just said it's a movie perspective. It's not going to be a high. How dare you, Peter? No, I'm, I'm just directing the conversation. No, I get you. it. I figured it out halfway through. To gl- uh, global. I, I have like negative narcissism, narcissism where I think anything that anyone says that's negative is probably about me. <laughs> uh, oh, that's not narcissism. That's just being raised Catholic. Anyway, uh um yeah so next you, week you were uh, up at the altar you were up at the altar and and uh shauna was was giving her vows and t- talking about how good of a partner you are and you were like who the fuck which guy is she talking about yeah are you this guy sounds awesome this dude yeah <laughs> who's this dude um are you fucking the priest what do you mean good dad are you, they have another dad um <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, anyway yeah so next week we are doing uh, one of our first double features. So we're doing the uh, German adaptation uh, from 20, 
the the years are all off, but sometime uh, 2010 or 2012, depending on which IMDb page you want to believe, uh, of The Color of Outer Space, which uh, is definitely a very interesting movie. It's my favorite Lovecraft story. Um but uh, but uh, we'll also be talking about the adaptation by Dan O'Bannon of his only novel, uh, which is uh, the movie's called The Resurrected. The novel is the case of uh, Charles Dexter Ward. And we're joined by a returning guest. He's been a little bit uh, since he's been on. Might be a long bit before he's back on again. Uh, uh, I don't know. Well, I'll let him talk about why that would be. It's a good thing, not a bad thing. Uh, if he wants to next week, but uh, we're going to be joined by Rick Kelly. I'm very excited to have Rick back. It's been a little bit, and uh, it'll be fun to have him uh, back to at least talk about. He's one of our, our original good boys, and he's someone who uh, he's someone who I, I he's the Jeffrey Combs of this podcast. He's such a fun po- he's such a fun presence on the show. Yeah, yeah. I will not so, tell him that when he's on. No, well, it'll all be just roasted. He can be roasted hardcore. But then later on, when he listens to this episode before recording next one, he's going to go, those guys. Those guys. And his girlfriend's going to be like, who the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. Staring at the wall saying, those guys? (laughs) His mic's not even plugged in. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. He's He's the kid from the camp. Uh, who needs a shower in uh, in wet on American? <laughs> and we're the boys. They're gonna take you to the shower, but this time the shower is a metaphor for recording with us, Rick. So we'll see you next week. Uh, anyways, uh, on that note, um, I'm gonna try to dream about the kinkiest stuff that I care about and see if it uh, affects Peter. Thank you. Yeah, if you could cast your uh, resonator my way, that would uh, really help me. Because um, recently yeah. my sex dreams have been mostly about me peeling potatoes. Uh, um, yeah, it'll be great. You're going to wake up and go, oh my gosh, I said the craziest dreams. Missionary sex while the kids are napping? <laughs> Whoa, dude. Uh, Jesus. <laughs> the knowledge of this might drive me insane. <laughs> I hope it does. Yeah. Uh, good night. Good night. folks thanks for listening to we love to watch thank you so much for listening to our show and we've got just a few quick announcements for you there ain't nothing in the rule book that says that we can't do some of our own plugs baby if you'd like to talk to us uh tell us we're stupid tell us we're beautiful the quickest way to get to us is our facebook group facebook.com slash we love to watch or our website, WLTWpodcast.com. Leave us a comment. Tell us we're doing a good job. Only tell us we're doing a good job. We're so sensitive. We're sensitive boys. We're soft boys. And uh, if you'd like to help other people, if you enjoy our show and want other people to be able to listen to this fine, fine program that we produce at no cost, We don't get any money for this. You guys have yet to pay us anything. We live and we breathe off of good reviews from iTunes. So if you would please go to iTunes, review our show, give us a positive rating. We would love to get more and more people involved in this show and this community. I know you hear it all the time, but it really does help.
And we're also available, if you don't use iTunes, we're also available on Google Music, Stitcher, TuneIn. We're currently on SoundCloud. We'll take that out if SoundCloud goes away. (laughs) That's it. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned, guys, on our Facebook page especially. We're going to have a lot more polls, a lot more prizes, and a lot more uh, interaction with you guys. So keep it tuned in. Uh, Let us know what you guys are thinking. And again, above all else, thanks for listening to We Love to Watch.